0: Last week we started our series called Easter and Why It Matters, and uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful truth that Easter is everything for us. And I have the privilege this week of speaking at the Home of Grace, and Angie went with me to sing, and we had a fun time with the ladies there uh, in their little chapel uh, ceremony singing, and and it was interesting because I've been trying to communicate to you guys, because I think everybody here that I know, we talk about Easter, you get it. When we talk about the elements of Easter, the death of Christ, the, the trials of Christ, you probably recognize all of that to be historically accurate and biblical things you've heard all your life. Pretty much everybody here, you've heard it all your life. Raise your hand if you've heard that story all your life, right? Well, I'm teaching in the Home of Grace, and this past Friday, such a crazy week, I decided that instead of trying to fix something up new for the Home of Grace, I would take last Sunday's sermon And give it to them. Because I felt like they needed that. And the Lord led me just to stay comfortable with that. So I took last Sunday's message. Which was Easter, why it matters forgiveness. That Christ, while he was hanging on nails that were rubbing against his bones. The very first thing he did. Was to forgive a whole bunch of people that didn't deserve to be forgiven at all. And so I was able to share that with these ladies. And in the process, I was talking about Mount Calvary. Jesus was led up to Calvary. And I was talking about Golgotha And there were ladies in there raising their hands Going, what's, what's, what's Calvary? I've heard that word, heard it in songs What is that? And then Golgotha, they didn't know what Golgotha was Now you guys have been raised with all that But there's a whole generation of people out there That think Easter's about Chocolate and bunnies And, uh, and chocolate bunnies Which are good by the way, all good So I love chocolate, okay, love bunnies I'll eat both of them, so it's okay, okay But the truth is the truth is, Easter's nothing about any of that. And we get very, very messed up when we as Christ followers, don't take this time of year and this opportunity to just ramp up the message that Easter is all about your life change, transform life. Easter is about the fact that you've been forgiven and that you can forgive, and the Easter's about the fact we're going to talk about today. Easter's about paradise. Paradise, a word we don't use very often in our culture. But today we're going to talk about Easter is about paradise. And you, when you study the Easter story, kind of the angle we're looking at it from is from Jesus' angle this time. When you study the Easter story, it's about paradise and it's about the fact that you can forgive. We said last week that you can be forgiven and forgive. Well, you can receive paradise because of Calvary and you can offer paradise. Because of Calvary. In other words, your focus, you can focus on your future. Easter helps us focus on our future, and Easter helps us focus on others. And so I want you to look first at at Jesus' behavior. Last week we looked at Jesus' behavior on the cross, and you got a chance to see that. And I'm just going to take you to another passage where uh, Jesus is hanging on the cross. It's just a little later than the one we looked at last week. Luke chapter 23, verse 39, one of the criminals thieves that we know who were were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, in a few minutes or hour or plus before this, both the thieves, both the criminals on each side, were joining in with the crowd and railing Jesus. Both of them had their, their... By the way, they were having the worst day of their life, okay? This is their last day on earth, and it's their worst day. They've been caught... They've been sentenced to die. They've been punished and beaten by Roman soldiers. They've fought their way, hand, tooth, and nail all the way up that hill, trying not to get on that hill. They've been forced to put their arm down and forced to have nails driven in. Those thieves are not going willingly. But the one in the middle, the one in the middle carried his cross up the hill like he was supposed to. And when it was time to nail him, he laid his arm down for that soldier because he knew it was time for him to offer himself up for all of us. It's an incredible picture. But these thieves are having their worst day ever. Right? Now, if we were in a grow group session right here, I would stop and say, Anybody who just want to tell me about your worst day? And you would, I mean, everybody here would go, oh, I can tell you about my worst day. You know, we got bunches of them. I can remember the day that Josh had his first seizure as a little baby. And the terror that was in my heart. I remember when I got flung off a sea dew. And uh, didn't, that didn't go very well at all. I <laughs> had three broken I had t- spiral fracture in three places in my leg and in the hospital for 5 days and at home ankle above my heart for 16 weeks that didn't go well. I remember all the misery of all that crutches and everything. I remember lots of rough days, you know, when my father passed away, when my brother passed away. We were going through the cancer with him. None of that was fun. I had bad days. Everybody here, everybody here has had really, some really bad days, some really bad days. Amen. You're identifying with me, right? I read a story. This is a true story, by the way. I read a story about an 18-year-old boy in Africa, one of the little nations in Africa. And some Americans had come through, and he had helped host them at some venture they were on over there. And he ended up inheriting from the Americans a set of golf clubs that they brought over there for whatever reason. And and this 18-year-old boy was excited about that. And he had learned from the guys that were there how to swing and drive the ball, I guess, long shots. And so he got out in one afternoon when he wasn't having to work in the fields, he got out in a big field next to his house, and he started swatting these golf balls and trying to figure out how to drive them as far as he could drive them. And pretty soon, you know, young athletic kid, he got really good at it. This is a true story. And he was just nailing them, just driving them and driving them and driving them. But one ball hit a goose that was flying. Okay, you wouldn't think that was a big deal, okay? It killed the goose. Okay, when it hit it, apparently it hit it just right. Goose is flying over the field, gets hit, and tumbles just 50 or so or 60 yards past the field to an airstrip. And on that airstrip is a military jet, an F-16. The military jet is taxiing out with a brand-new first-time flying pilot. He's just got his training license. He's ready to take his first solo run in that F-16 he's taxiing down a runway, and a giant dead goose falls on his windscreen. <sniffs> Scares him really bad. Okay, freaks him out. So, foolishly, he throttles it up, swerves, and runs his F-16 into an adjacent F-16 that's seated on the side of this runway, and destroys two F-16s, which was the entire air force, by the way, of that little nation. They owned 2 F-16s. that was their Air Force. They'd saved up and purchased all these great airplanes. And in one day, one kid with one golf ball, okay, had a really bad day. He was arrested, by the way, um, and he was charged. I love this. You got to go to Africa to get charged with this kind of stuff. He was arrested for hooliganism. Okay,
1: he's <laughs> just a hooligan.
0: <clears throat> just a hooligan. <clears throat> like, really was. That? I thought it'd be golfing would be the, anyway. So, but but that was. He had a bad day. He spent. I think he spent like six years in jail for that, you know, for, for, well, you, you ruin the air force. If you just imagine ruining our air force, you're going to spend a little jail time for that. Okay. (laughs) He ruined the air force just by being out there golfing. That wasn't his fault, of course. And some lawyer eventually got him, got him off all that. But these thieves next to Jesus are having their last day. And I shared with you last week, Jesus is having the worst day of his life because everybody that loved him All three years he was serving them has turned on him. His own personal team of leadership that he's trained have abandoned him. His very closest friend has talked back to him. We talked about this last week. Has talked back to him in a a dinner session and, and basically told him, you don't know what you're talking about. And then slept when he should have been praying alongside him. He fell asleep. And his own best friend has denied him three times. Three times. And said, I don't know him at all. And even the third time, cursed to deny him. And then Jesus' own people have shouted to execute him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And he is now being executed. So they're all having a very bad day. And on their very worst day, here's what happens. It says, the other criminal, the other thief, rebuked the first one saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. This man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And so now the thief, the criminal, looks to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you're coming to your kingdom. If you're going to follow my regular instructions about putting grace in your Bible, where you see grace, giant grace letters next to this one. Thief on the cross, dying for his crimes. And Jesus looks at him and says these words. Truly I say to you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Today. Today. That's going to, His bad day is fixing to end better. It is. He's got to suffer and die. And he's going to breathe his last breath on earth in pain. And he's going to open his eyes. He's going to take another breath and he's going to be in paradise with Jesus. That's not a bad end to a bad day, is it? That's a good end. A good end to a good day. So let's just talk about what difference does Easter make? What well, means you don't have to live in fear of your future? If you understand the whole Easter story and the resurrection of Jesus, you don't have to live in fear of the future. That paradise is real and it's available. Paradise is real and it's available. By the way, it's even available to criminals and thieves. It's even available to sinners and people who do all kinds of sinful, wrong things. So, I want to just talk first about paradise and kind of give you a picture of what paradise is based on the etymology of the word, based on how this uh, teaching or how Jesus would have used this word. He's not unfamiliar with why he u- or how to use that word. And so, if you take the word way back, it has Persian roots. It's actually a Persian word that eventually was used in the Greek culture, and it meant a place of pure beauty, pure beauty, a place of great delight. It often was used to describe parks and gardens where great rulers lived and where wealthy families resided. Um, One of my trips overseas uh, years ago when I traveled to Europe all the time, we were stuck in Switzerland between trips to Poland and Ukraine and Romania, and Switzerland's kind of our base. We'd end up, we'd, we'd train back into Switzerland, spend a couple of days collecting up more supplies or doing whatever we got to do, and Switzerland's very, very, very nice place. I mean, filthy rich people, like McDonald's there for the average person's about $15 for one meal, and that was back in the 90s, so it was a very expensive place to live. So we didn't try to stay there long because the other countries were much, you know, McDonald's there was like $3.00 in Romania, and over here it's like 15. So I was like, hey, y'all don't eat much while you're here. I'm trying to tell my college students, stop eating so much. You're killing our budget. So, But, but Switzerland was beautiful, and so the, the missionaries like to take us around to see all this incredible historical stuff that's there. And there's a palace there called Schoenbrun Palace. It's very famous. It's been in a ton of movies. Having seen it, then you start watching movies, you go, oh, well, that's Schoenbrun Palace. It's in all the movies. Um, it's just incredible, incredible footage and uh, the, the the places we never, we couldn't get we spent a half a day there and probably saw one one hundredth of the rooms. But then we went out back and you go out back and behind the palace is the gardens. And I mean it's just breathtaking the colors and the, all the the sculpting of all the bushes and everything were just overwhelming. You just couldn't decide do I want to go look at that part or this part because you're on this little. Uh, step that looks down into these gardens and you just can't figure it out, it's so beautiful students I took with me, were just, we were just overwhelmed and what really came to me, and the Lord just revealed this because we're just walking along talking about the thousands of colors that they could put into the flowers and the blooming bushes and all the stuff that's there, and how they mixed it all up and how beautiful it was, and we were just talking about it, and I finally said, you know what's crazy to me is this is the fallen version of a garden this is a fall, we live in a fallen world. This is what it looks like when we have to do it by the sweat of our brow. You know, this is, this is beautiful, like take your breath away, beautiful. It really, what, what the Persians would call, this is like paradise. But it's the fallen version. Because before man sinned, the garden was the real version. And after Jesus makes new heavens and new earth for us, we're going to get the real version. And it's not going to have any fallenness in it at all. No fallenness. It will be all pure glory. Can you imagine how more brilliant the colors will be? How much more beautiful? There's probably stuff we can't even see. Our eyes will see so differently when they're not fallen. Here's what the word means in its original deal. It's, it's used of gardens and parks. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 8 uses it this way. And the Lord God planted a garden. That's the word for paradise. Toward the east in Eden... And there he placed man whom he had formed. In the Old Testament, when it's translated into Greek, which is called the Septuagint, the Old Testament version of the Greek Bible, uses the word paradise. The exact word that Jesus uses with the, the thief is the word that it says God planted. God literally planted a paradise for man to live in. And Jesus is on a cross and he looks at the thief and he goes, Today you're going to be with me in my paradise. One that my father planted. Isn't that amazing? Revelation chapter 2. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise. That's the Greek word, which is in the paradise of God. So if we endure and overcome in our faith and walk by faith like we're supposed to and believe in the shed blood of Christ, we like the thief will dwell forever in the paradise of God. He owns the paradise, by the way. He owns the paradise. And he gets to bring us into that. Paul says in Second Corinthians 12, he was caught up into paradise. Caught up into paradise. Um, he had a vision. And it, by the way, he says this vision was so powerful, he can't even relay it to you. What he saw in, those, in paradise, he can't even relay it to you. And he said the Lord gave him a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being proud about what he was able to experience in his vision with God. That's a pretty amazing place. Whatever paradise is, it's a pretty amazing place. Oh, that's the history of the word and the understanding of the word that Jesus is using. I want to just talk to you for a minute about Jesus' teaching. And I could do a ton of Bible verses. I'd encourage you to look up as many verses as you can on Jesus' teaching on heaven and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God and our future. There's tons of verses about that. I picked out two today. I didn't want to keep you forever. I just wanted to look at two real quick ones. And uh, there's a purpose in that. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Starts with a very interesting phrase. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I just hit the brakes for that Set one second and just soak in to that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, just calling me Lord... Is not the key to get into paradise. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter heaven. Only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, he's talking about a judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And Jesus says, I, the judge, will tell them plainly. Listen, what he's going to say plainly. I never knew you. Man, that's a wake up call. Because, see, I'd like to end up in paradise. When you read about paradise in the Bible, it's really the better choice. There's two choices paradise and hell. That's the two choices, heaven and hell. And you really want to end up in paradise with God, in his paradise. You don't want to end up in hell. But here's what he says think about these words. I will plainly say to them, I never knew you. Now they're saying, look, we did all this stuff in your name. We cast out demons in your name, we were working for you. Something was wrong in their thinking process. Something in their understanding of the relationship they're supposed to have with God was wrong. They were casting out demons for themselves. They were doing something about themselves. They were all focused wrong. They had it all wrong. And Jesus says, just because you claim to be mine and pretend to be mine, but there's not something really working in your heart that makes you mine, you haven't made a heart decision for me. You're not mine. Very powerful text, isn't it? Keeps us on our toes. Matthew 25. I've used this many times with you. Matthew 25, verse 31. And just follow along here. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right hand. And for all my left-handed brothers, I'm very sorry about this. I'm a left-handed guy. He's going to place the goats on the left. I don't know why he has to do that, by the way. He's going to put the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous are going to answer Jesus and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When when did we ever see you as a stranger and welcome you in? Or naked and clothe you? I, I don't remember. When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And then the king's going to say, Truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, it was like doing it to me. Jesus is going to say, I was there when you took care of those very needy people that could never offer anything back to you. I was there. That's when you did it to me. When you did it to the least of these, it was just like doing it to me. And by the way, welcome to paradise. Powerful, isn't it? Then the king will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared For the devil and his angels, for I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they will also say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, naked or sick? And we did not minister to you. Truly I say unto you, as you did not do it unto the least of these, you didn't do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Into paradise. The difference in those two groups is in a heart belief that put God first in their life. And when you put God first and Jesus first, you live for others, not for yourself. The second group would have encountered just as many sick and needy and homeless and wounded and strangers and prisoners and people that they could have cared for. Both groups encountered the same groups of people. One group said, I'm not going to be about myself today. I'm going to stop and I'm going to help. One group said, I got too many things to do, I'm too busy, I got this other important stuff. And the important stuff is all about them. And so at the great white throne judgment, at this great judgment time, the ones that have made a decision for Christ end up on his right. And the difference in the two groups are that the ones that made the decision for Christ have lived for Christ. They've walked in love, like we talk about all the time. They've just poured their love out on earth. And to their own shock, they're saying, we don't remember seeing you. I mean, we're glad to go into paradise, but when were you there? He said, I was there with every needy person you cared for. I was right there. That's an amazing picture, isn't it? So who gets to go into paradise? It's a good question. Who gets to go into paradise? Who is that goes? Is it only good people go into paradise? No, by the way, there's no good people in heaven, just so you'll know. Everybody in heaven was a sinner at one point in time. Do, do the people who serve the Lord and work hard for Him go into heaven? No, there was a verse I read to you in Matthew 7. We've cast out demons in your name. we prophesied in your name. Worked hard. Is it those who teach the Bible? Do I get to go to heaven because I'm teaching? Nope. Is it those who heal people with their prayers of faith are those who can perform miracles. That's not who gets to go for heaven. So, in order to help you understand who gets to go to heaven, now we're going to go back to the thief. And Just talk about the thief. Who gets to be in paradise? Well, the thief did. So let's study him for a minute. Let's talk about the thief. Now, the thief, okay, and just give you some facts that we know about him scripturally. He was most likely Jewish. Romans never crucified. Romans, too undignified. They had many other ways of executing their own. But it wasn't by a crucifixion hanging naked on a cross on a hill across from Jerusalem. Not how they treated him. He was not important enough for his name to be given. He's just called a thief. He didn't even have a title or a name. Nobody in the setting in any of the gospels. Nobody ever calls his name. So we don't have a name for him. He was very susceptible to peer pressure. And crowd following. As he's, as he's carried out and put on that cross initially. He's exactly what everybody else is. He's a bitter and angry person. Uh, his, his words are filled with bitterness and anger. And he's mocking even Jesus next to him early. In the story. Right? So he's caught up in that peer pressure moment. Where he's just having a bad day. And, every, and peer pressure. Everybody else is doing it. So he's going to do it. The Jewish leaders by the way. The Jewish leaders. His religious leaders. That should have cared for his soul. A long time ago. His religious leaders are lined up. On the back edge of that hill. Shouting. Bad things at Jesus. Mocking. The high priest himself. Jesus Christ. Son of God. And so he's on this cross, and he's watching his own religious men do all that. And so he's, he's just caught up with all that. He's caught up in that peer pressure. He was executed for his crimes. And probably, as we study the history of that time, he had to be a repeat offender to end up with this kind of execution. So the local authorities we very glad to be getting rid of him. There were, there were guys that the local authorities would punish and torture and run out of town. Sometimes they would take guys and, and go, you know, that guy's driving us nuts, man. Just put him, on a, you know, put him in that cage and let's ride him about 600 miles that way. Throw him in a river somewhere and y'all come back. And that was how we got rid of bad guys. Because, you know, back then you couldn't travel 600 miles real easy. So you could you'd get rid of bad guys a lot of different ways. Crucifixion was one of them, but it's like the peak so this guy has messed up somewhere. He's, he's made enough bad decisions to get some really big people mad at him. And he's going to be executed for his crimes because of that. He stole things rather than work for a living. He stole things. I've had a lot of things stolen from me in the last several years. A lot of things. I had my car broken into, my truck broken into the night, before, two nights before Christmas. I just smashed the window in my driveway. Just... Ticks me off when they do that, by the way. It's not their stuff. None of that stuff was theirs. Right? Had my, had my, my trailer stolen. Uh, chained up out back here a long time ago. Out back. Had my trailer chained up out back. Thank God there was no mowers or anything on it. Just my trailer. I came up here to get my trailer one day. It was all chained up. Chain was still there. Trailer was gone. I'm like, wow. Somebody stole my trailer. Had my mower stolen out of our shed right here. Really good mower, too. I missed that mower. It's good mower. Gone. Just gone. I hate people that steal. That just drives me nuts. That's this guy. That's this guy. He didn't work for his stuff. He took other people's stuff. He constantly was stealing other people's stuff. And that's just plain old bad character, isn't it? Just bad character. We don't like those people, do we? No, no. We don't like those people. Bad character. Okay, so he had a character problem. and Then he was a bad thief. He wasn't even a good thief because apparently he got caught several times. Apparently he he tried to steal too much, and he wasn't real smart at it. Somehow, um, he was a bad thief, and he got caught with an alibi, or without an alibi. He didn't have a—he didn't have an alibi. He didn't even have friends that could get him out of it. He didn't have anybody that could identify, you know, say, "Hey, that wasn't really him. He has a twin brother like that, so you can't take him." Nobody would help him, so he doesn't have enough friends to get him out of this. He doesn't have any people in the higher courts that can help him. He's just in trouble. He's a bad thief that got caught, and he's being punished and executed for irritating the daylights out of the Romans. He's a guy that made bad decisions, has bad character, and he has a bad heart. That's who's hanging next to Jesus. And who's going to paradise. That day, he's going to paradise, by the way. Pretty amazing. As far as we know, his life was a total waste. He was dishonest and angry, caught and sentenced for his crimes. But he did one thing right. One thing. One, many, many bad decisions in this man's life. Many of them. Then there's that one good decision he makes. He looks at Jesus and he says, Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? That's pure grace right there. Because Jesus goes, go, man, you've done a bunch of wrong stuff. You're a bad man with bad character, bad heart. Bad life. Nope. Sorry, I'm dying for all of y'all. But you done wasted all this, buddy. You've wasted your whole life. Not what Jesus says. He says, "This day, this day, man, you're gonna you're gonna hate how your life ends. You're gonna be in so much pain. When they come shatter your legs in a minute. It's just gonna just kill you with pain, and you're gonna die because you can't breathe anymore. You Can't breathe out, actually. You cross, you die because you can't expel air." And your heart finally beats that last beat this day you'll be with me in paradise gonna be better at the end of the day isn't that something? that is pure grace and so let's, now let's just look at what he actually says from the cross because this thief had to get to, the, to paradise with something right about him in his heart why did he say those things he said well he recognized he was condemned for what he did wrong He actually says to the other thief, don't you realize we're condemned? We deserve this? Don't you realize we deserve this? You know what a good step of your faith is? To never forget what you really deserve. The Apostle Paul never forgot how far he was from God. Paul, the Apostle, calls himself the chief of all sinners. Okay, so he recognized he was condemned for what he did wrong and he deserved to die. He recognized he deserved to be punished But he also recognized Jesus was innocent. Totally, totally innocent. And he actually says, this man between us, he's done no wrong. He's done no wrong. Now, he has to have some divine revelation for all that to click. And by the way, he's in enormous pain while he's processing all this. But something in his brain realized, this is wrong. And this, me dying, is right. It's really what he's saying. I deserve to die. He doesn't. You know where salvation begins for us? When you recognize I'm a sinner and I deserve to die for my sins. I've done nothing to earn God's love or respect. God owes me nothing. I should just die now. That's the beginning of salvation. So this man, it clicks in his head. By the way, it's really good timing for him because he's only got a few more hours. Really good timing for him to click and go, I get this. I deserve to die. And he actually tells the other thief, don't you recognize that? Can't you see what's happening here, guy? And then he calls Jesus by name. He knew Jesus was guiltless and a willing victim. He calls him by name and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So he believes, and here's important one, he believes Jesus has a kingdom that he's bound for he believes in the kingdom he's Jewish by the way so that would have been ingrained in him somewhere in his childhood he would have heard those stories and just hanging around Jewish people he would have heard the stories of the kingdom of God God's kingdom and he realizes this guy belongs in that kingdom I don't but if I just ask him maybe when he gets there if he could just remember me could you just remember me Man, just write the word grace in your Bible right there. Because I'm telling you, the thief didn't do anything smart till that point in his life right there. He's an absolute disastrous mess. Bad man with bad character and a bad heart. And he says, please remember me. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't grace beautiful? Isn't it awesome? You know, when you got saved, you didn't have to do anything right for, for yourself to get saved except ask. You just had to trust Jesus died for you on the cross. That's how people get saved. You don't have to do right things. You don't have to have a whole history of, hey, I've I've corrected my life. Now, I've had people tell me I can't get saved until I start doing right things. No. The whole thing is you get saved and then God brings all that about in your life. You don't have to wait. You can do it while you're struggling, while you're a mess, while you're a disaster. While you're failing, while you're making lots of bad choices. Max Lucado says it this way. Grace is so good that a bad Jewish thief, he he calls him a flat-nosed thug, (laughs) can enjoy a personal relationship with Christ and even enter into paradise. That's how good grace is. Grace is so good that a bad thief can enter into the kingdom of God by just trusting in Jesus' kingdom. That's how good grace is. Aren't you glad for grace? We love grace here. It's everything our church is built on is grace. None of us will be here without grace. So who gets to go to paradise? Repentant people. The thief on the cross who repented. The thief on the cross who repented gets to go to paradise. You say, well, repentance means something changed. It did. It did. Now, he didn't have a long life to live to prove that change. You know, he's not going to go teach Sunday school next week. You know, he's not going to have a prison ministry when he, when he... You know, he just has no time left. He's hanging on the cross. So what's the change? Well, it's the conversation he has with the other thief. Because in the conversation with the other thief, he's a changed man. He's going, wait a minute, buddy. We're not condemning him anymore. Don't you understand? You and I deserve condemnation, not him. He changed. His, his life changed right there. People say, well, Christians are supposed to change. He did. He did. He changed right there. And for the last few minutes or hours of his life, while he hung there, he honored and adored, no longer blasphemed, the Son of God hanging next to him. That's the change. It's just real. And it's real simple, by the way. It's kind of a, God gives us a microcosm from the cross. We get a microcosm of what salvation really looks like with a thief... Ending up dying and going to paradise. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely beautiful. So let me just talk to you for a minute about repentant people. I don't think any of this is in your notes. It's not going to end up up here. I just want you to hear the rhetoric for a minute. Because it went through my head so many times this week. Those who trust in the blood of Christ to cleanse them from their sins. When God does that and we get that, we change. We stop sinning. We fight against sin in our lives. Those who believe Jesus died for their sins. Romans says, how shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If there's sin that's beating you up, change it, fix it, fight it, call for help, get some accountability, get in a healthy, grow small group and fix it. That's what happens when you get the cross. Repentant people go to heaven. And they have an evidence of change. Stop letting sin rule in your life. Stop using swear words. Stop using uh, criticizing other people. Stop living in constant anger and frustration. Stop letting fear. Oh man, the enemy has just beat up our church with fear. Stop letting fear control your lives. Stop living with addictive behaviors like alcohol or drugs or Facebook or <laughs> sorry or uh <laughs> or video games. Stop. Stop getting caught up. By the way, they've done a study now that the pathways of your brain, your electron pathways, when you're t- on your phones a lot, doing Facebook, or your tablets, probably saw this study, Kurt, but they've got this study out now that, that that same electronic system that's firing in your brains during that is the exact same thing that happens when people do heroin in their brains. It's the same neurons that are firing. That's why It's addictive. It's hard to put it down. Any of you ever tried just to put one down and go, "Hey, I'm not going to use my, I'm not going to do that today." Let me just check it real quick. I'm, just, I'm just checking. Okay, And it's hard. It's hard. I left the house yesterday. I had a, a breakfast appointment with Tim Smith, one of my mentors, at, at Cracker Barrel, and I got up yesterday morning and it took care of some chores. Went, sorry, we, it wasn't a bad thing, Brandon. It was good. <laughs> I wasn't in trouble at all. He was the mentor, and I was in good shape. So, but, but I, I left. I left the house, I had to leave, I I did a bunch of chores in the house before I left, and then I realized, I gotta go, I'm gonna be late, and I can't be late, you can't, you don't ever want to be late meeting your mentor, that's a bad thing, because then you get in trouble for being late at Cracker Barrel. So, so I didn't want to do that, so I had to hurry out, well I couldn't find my phone anywhere, I mean, it just, it wasn't anywhere. I'm like, I gotta go to Cracker Barrel, I gotta go all the way from my house by the airport down to Cracker Barrel on the interstate without a phone? Man, I thought, and he, he, when I got there, I said, hey man, I'm, I'm sorry, I look a little frazzled. I don't have my phone with me. He goes, that's stressful, isn't it? I went, oh yeah. He goes, you're addicted to that thing. I went, I, know. I know. I mean, it's trouble. struggle. It's hard when you leave your phone somewhere. It's terrifying, you know? I'm like, ugh. So as soon as I was done there, I came here and unlocked and then went straight back to the house and found my phone. So, praise God, I have my phone. But isn't it crazy? We, we, we have all these things, behaviors, that don't line up. And the cross was settling all of that for us. We're supposed to change. The thief had just a few hours, and he changed his tone, his behavior. His heart was different. Your heart and your life supposed to be so different. People get it. And people go, man, something changed right there. I guarantee you there's some soldiers, some Roman, old, rough, rough Roman soldiers. Man, the guys that were in charge of crucifixions had to be just old, bitter, mean, gruff guys. I guarantee you there's some guys that talked about That soldier quit cursing or why'd that thief quit cursing like that? You notice he got real quiet. He actually fussed at the other guy. And I guarantee you his life testified to somebody at the foot of that cross going, Man, that was just different. Somebody this whole day's messed up. We had a big earthquake, we had the sky darken. You know, Jesus died before his time. He should have stayed they only hung there six hours, a lot of people hung there eighteen hours. You know, he died of his own choosing time, by the way, like he said he would. So it's very interesting. But your life can be a testimony. So the cross of Christ offers us paradise. And paradise is real and impossible to all who would trust in him. But in closing, I want to just tell you this real quick. On your worst day ever. It's the thief. He's having his worst day ever. Jesus says you can share hope with others. Because Jesus is hanging there and invites him into paradise. Right? And the thief is hanging there and chooses paradise. And actually informs the other guy on the other side, hey man, you're missing the point. So you can be having a really bad day and still minister. Did you know that? I mean, you can be having a really bad day and still minister. You know what the problem with us is when we have really bad days? We get focused on ourselves. Because I'm having a really bad day and I need to tell everybody. I'm having a really bad day. And I need to tell you why it's a bad day. And I need you to feel sorry for me. That's what we do on bad days, isn't it? Some of you do it almost every day. No, I'm kidding. Sorry. We do. We, we wallow in our bad days. We wallow in them. We wallow in our bad days. And Jesus, on his very worst day, forgives everybody that caused it. Sets them free from their sins. And invites the thief to paradise. And the thief gets to go to paradise, but he also gets to explain to the other guy what's happening on his worst day. I believe with all my heart that on some of, you, some of you, when you're having a very bad day at work, I mean a bad, bad day. It's been a bad day. You know, you've killed the Air Force or whatever you've done. You're having a very bad day. I believe that's God's quiet way of saying to you, now you can testify. Now you can share. You're having a bad day, share. Share me with somebody. Expose my love to them on your bad day and it'll change them. That's what the thief was trying to do. And that's what you can do. You don't have to let bad days ruin everything because the worst days that we... I mean, that was a terrible day. And it turns out to be the best day ever for all of us, by the way. And definitely for that thief. You don't have to be selfish. But transform life. That the thief came into was no longer a selfish life. He wasn't just thinking about himself. He actually was thinking about Jesus. And he's thinking about the guy next to him. So this week, who are you going to think about?